Good morning, this is Dave Kanicki and welcome to the first ever Ag Equipment Intelligence Podcast, digging into the data, a first look at the 2018 Big Dealer Report. Today, I'll be joined by George Russell, a managing member of the Machinery Advisors Consortium, a group that provides training, consulting, and coaching to North American dealerships on a wide range of topics. George currently leads six dealer best practice groups in farm and construction equipment. He also writes a regular dealer business column for Farm Equipment Magazine. George and I have co-authored Ag Equipment Intelligence's Big Dealer Report since its inception in 2009. In today's podcast, George and I will discuss the 2018 edition of the report, with George providing his informed analysis of how and why farm equipment dealers have and will continue to consolidate. The first big dealer report appeared in the April 15, 2009 issue of Ag Equipment Intelligence. This was George's brainchild and he brought it to us and we've been working with him ever since. The idea was based on the emerging trends in dealership consolidation and ownership and this consolidation presented a lot of challenges for a lot of dealers. The first full report was issued in 2011. Based on our experience as well as discussions with dealers, we determined that dealerships with five or more store locations would be our criteria for classifying dealerships as big dealers. This is based on the number of store locations, not on their uh, sales or revenue. In 2009, there were 151 big dealers with only two of these with 20 or more stores. Only 12 dealerships at that time had operated 15 or more stores. You'll see how dramatically this has changed as we get into the presentation. In that initial report, it was obvious that consolidation of John Deere dealers was easily outpacing that of the other major equipment manufacturers. Even back in 2009, about 50% of the total big dealers were John Deere dealers. Between 2011 and 2018, the number of big dealers increased by only about 11%. The real story here lies in the biggest dealers on the list. During this time, dealerships with 20 or more stores grew by 88%. I do want to note a change we made in the 2018 report. Previously, we had uh, listed dealers in all their store locations regardless of where they were located. This year, the dealer count will involve only the North American dealerships, those in the U.S. and Canada. There's a couple, as you know, with uh, dealerships overseas. We've taken those numbers out, but we've noted them in the study itself. The other thing that I want to make a point at this time is that this thing is ongoing. When this report was at the printer, we received two more big changes that would have changed the data once again, and this is ongoing. We'll keep on top of it and let you know. The biggest changes came with the biggest dealers. The group between 15 and 19 locations is where the real explosion of big dealers is most apparent. This group grew by more than 400% during this eight-year period. From five in 2009 to 25 ownership groups in 2018. At the same time, the number of dealers with only five to nine locations shrunk by 19%. And the reason is obvious. The big guys were buying 
out the smaller guys. George, why don't you give us uh, your take on how consolidation in the North American farm equipment business has progressed in the past decade? Thank you, Dave. And first, I'll say thank you for the collaborative effort we've had since we started this. And it's exciting to be involved with so many people who are interested in this subject because it is pretty fundamental in our business, this pace of consolidation. You mentioned a lot of challenges in this, and I think that's why there's so many people interested. But there are opportunities as well, which is why it's happening. And I think we can take some look at other industries that have consolidated as well. So I'm going to cover what is really happening with these owners in the largest size of the big dealers and some of the hows and whys. So the same numbers that Dave showed are now done graphically. And you can see from 2011, that top slice of dealers, uh, and these are owner groups, those with 15 or more stores, was somewhat less than 10% of the total in 2011. And it's now grown to be over 20%. If you look at that group that Dave pointed out was it grown so big, the 10 plus stores, so the, uh, and you look at the uh, doc in 2011, that was about 25% of the total. Today, it's about 45% and will continue. And of course, the shrinkage uh, is among the five to nine stores. There are a few dealers as we look over time and try to track who are getting to that five to seven size which is important, but they are being consolidated, if you will, in that category. I will point out that the reason why I'm interested in this phenomenon of consolidation is because when you get to that range of five to seven stores is typically where it gets to be in a gray area where one entrepreneur may need to add some additional structure or people to manage that level of operation. Instead, so the challenges presented to, to the types of services we provide are in that range of five to nine stores. So we'd like to identify those. But now what is happening is the 10 plus and 15 plus stores have some additional challenges as they grow and continue to consolidate and acquire other dealerships. Just looking at what is happening in the number of those owner groups, you can see that just as with the total number of dealers, this 15 plus owner group does not grow consistently, but there's a reason for that. So from 2010 to 2011, the number actually decreased. You see the same thing between 2014 and 2015. Those are cases where a big dealer acquired another big dealer. And that is what I call the second phase of consolidation for that to happen. That's the reason why the decline in those years. But you'll also note the tremendous increase in numbers between 2017 and 2018. In the case of number of stores, let's make a couple points. In the numbers that Dave and I track, we track two different numbers for a location. Our focus is on the ag stores, those that, that we can identify that are selling farm equipment. And farm equipment, of course, is some, somewhat a gray area as a dealership selling mainly to rural lifestylers who are farm as a hobby. Are they a farm equipment dealer? Is a dealer that is selling as a distributor of farm equipment, are they a dealer? Uh, is a dealer selling used equipment? Are they a dealer? So we have some gray area around the definition of a dealer, but we're trying to focus on the number of ag stores. The number of total stores are when a dealer either carries another uh, industry, such as construction equipment or heavy trucks, and it may also include headquarters locations of a, of a uh, complex. 
So, but our focus though is really on that growth in the number of farm stores, which is now somewhere north of 868, which represents about 13% of all stores that Dave and I can identify in the group of farm equipment dealerships. And among the five global full liners, that's close to 20% of the total of those, those stores, which is primarily the, the dealers in this group. Now, what is driving the consolidation? It's farm consolidation primarily. The, what you see here is the trend in what I call million dollar farms from 1982 to 2012. And the, the most recent US ag census is in 2017. We're waiting to hear the results of that, but there's no reason to think that this consolidation would not continue. This represents the percentage of farm revenue, income sold off the farm by three different farm classes. The top are the those that sell $5 million or more off the farm, then one to 5 million and less than a million dollars of farm revenue. And these are all adjusted for inflation. Back in 1982, 23% of the farm revenue was generated by million dollar farms. Today or back in 2012, that was 66%. So that's tremendous consolidation. You can see and visualize in this in this chart and you can re represented the number of farms on the right-hand side is 92,000 farms or 4% of the total farms are million-dollar farms. So two-thirds of all the farm income is represented by the number of farms that if there were one person per farm would fit in Memoriam's, Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. So that shows how few in number of farms generates most of the farm revenue. That is the main driver at the producer level if consolidation that drives dealer consolidation and also manufacturer consolidation. And why is that important? And what, what is driving that? The economies of scale by the type of farm. So on the left side, you see the percentage uh, operating profit by the different categories. So the smaller farms on the left actually are not making money per the USDA survey. And then you see the operating profit margins uh, increase 5, 10, 15%. And then the categories that we're talking about are a million dollars or more, their profit margins get into that 20 to 25% profit margin for farms that are selling that much revenue. That is the economic driver for consolidation in scale in farming. We can see that now as well, that economies of scale for dealers. These are from the Equipment Dealers Association averages, which is done by the Western Equipment Dealer Association, divides and looks at dealers by their annual revenue. And we can see the same thing happening. So three categories, less than 25 million annual sales, 25 to 75 and over 75. You can see that the gross margin is highest among the smallest dealers. You can see then the expenses that those larger dealers also have a lower expense ratio. So even though they're having a lower gross margin, they also have lower expenses, getting close to the goal that we coach to be less than 10% of the total. And then the best number that we use for, if you just had one number to look at the success of a dealership, it's return on assets because we are in an asset intensive business. So the net profit times the asset turns achieves the return on assets. 
And back in 2014, the average dealer in that largest category was at 10% return on assets. And that's the average where the goal is around 15%. So yes, the gross margins are lower for bigger dealers, but their expense targets are, and what they hit are much lower. Their asset turns are, are higher. So that net result of their higher net profit times higher asset turns achieves the higher return on assets. That was in 2014. Again, using return on assets as the best summary measure of a dealer's business, you can see the cyclicality of our business peaking 2013 from the same survey that the average return on assets for all dealerships was 10%. Now it's 2.6%. So we're in the, we've been in a down cycle that is apparent here in terms of the results of dealers. What has happened to big dealers in that time period? So the last numbers from WIDA to 2017, that top line gross margin, you see that same gap of about three points in gross margin between the smallest dealers and the largest dealers, the 18.5 versus 15.7. The expense total, the gap previously was about four points between the smallest dealer and the biggest dealer. Now it's about three points and difference, which indicates that maybe the largest dealers are not as able to reduce expenses or manage expenses for one reason or another, maybe because of their size when this business turns down. The expense totals are still well over the goal of 10%. There's still a gap between this big dealer and the smallest dealer's classification, but it's a smaller gap. So the net profit is actually highest in the middle group, about 2% net profit in the middle group. Asset turns are still much more advantage to the biggest dealers, but the return on assets is pretty low, around 3% in the down cycle of the business. So yes, there are economies of scale, but this trend looking over time period shows that there may be some challenges for the bigger dealers to manage expenses in the downturns. So why consolidation? We talked about farm consolidation. There's also been consolidation at the manufacturer level, the original equipment manufacturers. And every one of the five major brands has done some kind of acquisitions or consolidations, even Deere. But Agco is a, is a great example because the, of the consolidations they've done over the years. CNH Industrial with a combination of uh, Kisa H and New Holland. Kubota's acquisitions of Cavernland and Great Plains. And then the, at the short line level, consolidations as well. So that is also a phenomenon that is affecting distribution. It's affecting dealers. In fact, uh, I spoke at the Farm Equipment Manufacturers Association a couple of weeks ago with a colleague, and that was the subject we talked about, the challenges to distribution for short-line manufacturers. The other consolidation among dealers is the competitiveness of each brand. Competition is increasing, and the need to provide a better package of value to the farmer Specialization with the increasing needs of farmers means that manufacturers are asking dealers to be more competitive. And yes, they want to focus on their brand and have incentives to do that. So the competitive and consolidation at the manufacturer level is also a driver of consolidation. Purely from a profit pressure, we showed the economies of scale, but the other profit pressure that is also seen in uh, large dealers is the reduction of inline competition. 
many dealers will say that their biggest competitor is not another color, but the same color around the edges of their territory. As territories grow with consolidation and the growth of big dealers, that uh, chance for getting undercut by a neighboring dealer of the same color is reduced. And so that's one, another phenomenon that helps the profits of a bigger dealers. And the other big change that is driving consolidation are the generational transitions and succession planning. And Dave has some really good information and some other things to help explain that. Dave? As dealers get older, dealer principals, they're looking for an exit strategy and how to transfer their wealth. And uh, based on a study Farm Equipment did in 2015, we showed that 38% of dealer principals are 61 years or older. 75% are 51 and older. Many of the largest dealers that I've spoken with over the years have pointed out that they haven't necessarily aggressively looked to um, acquire other dealers, but those dealers have come to them looking for a way to either exit the business totally, turn it over to someone else, be able to transfer some of that wealth and continue working. But there's a lot of reasons. A lot of dealers don't have family to take over the business in, in many cases. That's from what I've heard from the big dealers and even small dealers. This is an, another driver of consolidation. If you look at where the big dealers are located by state, you see that 19 big dealers, that is 19 big dealer companies, not 19 dealerships, but 19 big dealer companies are located in Texas and they're, they're the biggest concentration. And that are followed by California, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, Minnesota, and Nebraska. Now these uh, fit very nicely into the states that produce the uh, most food in the country. Number one on that list is California. Number two is Iowa. Uh, number three is Nebraska. Four is Texas. And five is Minnesota. And these all fit into our top 10 of big dealers by state. And the same thing holds true if you look at big dealers in Canada. The number one biggest producer of food in Canada is Saskatchewan, and they have 13 big dealer groups located in that province. The rest of them in the top five are Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec. And these, again, are the biggest food producers in Canada. Now, uh, we'll take a look at big dealers by brand, and I'll let George uh, chime in here. So Dave talked about back in 2009 that Deere had taken the lead in consolidation, and that continues today. So you can see that in 2018, this latest report, 99 of the owner groups that sold John Deere equipment were on the big dealer list. Uh, second was Case IH, then Agco, and then Capota, with their acquisitions and strategy, are starting to add more multiple store dealerships and then New Holland. And then it's also interesting to know, and this is a subject when we were talking to the Farm Equipment Manufacturers Association, the number of dealers that are short line only that are also have multiple locations. So Dave and I have been able to identify a couple of short line only dealerships in, in North America. The dealerships by brand also shows the pace of consolidation. If you look at 
the number of stores by the number of ag stores. And then these are ranked by the percentage of their network that is on the big dealer list. So Deer Ag Stores, about 1,500 stores in North America, the 99 owners. Of those 99 owners, they have 1,263 stores. It means that 83% of Deer's 1,522 Ag Stores are owned by a big dealer. In the case of Case IH, that number is a little over half, 53%. The interesting thing to do is though in Case IH and also in New Holland is to take out their two largest dealers in terms of number of stores, which are Titan Machinery and Rocky Mountain Equipment. When those two dealers are taken out, the Case IH percentage goes from 53 to 45%. New Holland goes from 21% to 14%. The Agco brands, which includes Challenger, Massey Ferguson, Fent, um, is around 32%. And a large part of those uh, big stores in the Agco network are cat dealers that are carrying Challenger and maybe some other brands and have that big dealer mentality. Of course, many of those cat dealers with the transfer of the Challenger brand and Ag when Agco bought that chose to drop Ag, but those that have stayed in are increasing their number of locations and are aggressive about the Ag business. And Kubota, the, is at 13% today with the second largest network, uh, which is the virtue of their product line that they've had historically. You can see that Dave and I estimate there are about 6,750 6, dealers, uh, farm equipment stores in North America. Again, I mentioned the gray area that that involves in terms of what the definition of a dealer is. But in all of North America, the 30% of all stores are part of a big dealer. Just focusing on Deer because they've been the leader in consolidation and looking at their number of 10 plus stores since we've been doing the survey, that number of 10 plus stores has increased from 24. And, and with the recent changes in 2017, 2016 is now up to 61. And a couple of those changes that Dave mentioned that we got after press time were in the dealer network. Deer reports the number of their stores in their annual 10Q reports, and this is a timeline of that. So at the bottom are any uh, Deer dealership that is selling ag equipment gets to that 1,522. That number has been relatively stable. It's gone down a little bit, but just because there's consolidation of the owners doesn't mean that the necessarily that the number of stores has that significant change. Yes, there are some consolidations of reducing maybe three stores into two stores or three into one over time, but the number is actually pretty stable in terms of outlets. Then you can see construction equipment only. Uh, Deer's Nortrack business there is the key component of that where Deer actually has a business uh, that runs uh, their construction equipment stores. And the biggest change has been the turf only dealers that have had some challenges in profitability over time. The other thing that uh, Dave and I thought would be interesting, which we've seen in the numbers, are the private equity interest in the ag sector and the scale among these big dealers. So you see a list here of the big dealers on the list. Uh, what brand and, and uh, they carry in what states or provinces. And we've identified the private equity company that is all or partial ownership of some of these stores. And that's one of the attractions 
of a large uh, store is the is the ability to attract uh, separate capital looking for a good investment. And so I think we'll see this this uh, phenomenon continue as companies look to invest, not just private equity companies, but family investment companies. In this area, this is financial capital, but the other thing that we see as a benefit on big dealers is the attraction of human capital, their ability to, of large dealers to attract the type of talent that uh, would like to live in a rural community and run a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar organization, and the type of uh, executive talent that uh, is needed to run these large operations. So there's human capital as well as financial capital. We'll get back to the program, but first I want to remind you that the information presented here is available in the 2018 Big Dealer Report, which is available without charge to all Ag Equipment Intelligence subscribers. It's also available for sale in print or PDF formats by going to agequipmentintelligence.com. The Big Dealer Report has been published annually since 2011, and all past reports are archived on the Ag Equipment Intelligence website. Now, back to today's program. So Dave, I'll turn it back to you because I think you've got some questions that people have uh, raised. Yes, sir. The first question, George, is uh, what percentage of big dealers manage their online marketing in-house versus outsourcing to an agency? And I'll take that. We don't know, but we are currently conducting a survey of North American dealerships to look at their marketing practices. The information that we compile from that survey will be presented at the Dealership Mind Summit on uh, Intelligent Marketing that Farm Equipment is sponsoring on uh, July 24th and 25th in Iowa City. Uh, if you uh, are not familiar with that uh, summit, uh, right now we've got a really excellent uh, attendance so far and it continues to grow. It would be worth your while to take a look at that. But we'll have more information for you for, on that question uh, later this summer. Next question, is there a real economic advantage in mul large multi-store dealerships for the dealer or is the advantage with the manufacturer? I'll let you take that one, George. The charts that we had that I'm going back to that showed these economies of scale, here is part of the answer to that, that uh, clearly there's uh, these numbers show that there are some benefits to scale, but not necessarily consistent throughout the cycle, which is the point that we were doing here with this comparison between three years apart. But And so let's just go back to the 2014 numbers that showed the, the most significant difference in that bottom line number. So would answer that question, yes, from the dealership standpoint in terms of a bottom line number. Certainly there are economies of scale at the manufacturer as well. I don't think that's necessarily the driver overall from a manufacturer's side that they're, they're consolidating because they want to reduce cost. I think it's more they have to reduce cost because the number of dealers that they have are maybe reducing and they may be providing a different uh, type of service to those bigger dealers. But certainly there are advantages to the manufacturers as, as well. 
Okay, another question. After the banking industry went through a big number of consolidations, the local and community banks became very successful niche. Is that what we're seeing in the farm equipment business? So I think looking at other industries is always helpful because in our industry tends to be more conservative than other industries. We are slower to adopt newer business practices. So we can study other industries and look at the the trends and things that have happened. And the banking industry is a great example of consolidation because so many, particularly in the U.S., have consolidated. It's a different picture in Canada. The fact that there's so few big banks in North America now uh, doesn't mean that there are not some small community-based banks that are are very successful. They have to have a niche. They have to provide a high level of service and perhaps having a, a type of product that uh, some of the bigger banks may not be so comfortable with. And certainly in our our business, you know, the special nature of farm equipment means and understanding that means that only a few banks have that appreciation of the farm equipment business. So I think you can learn from that business of what it takes to be successful. If you're not going to be big, you have to do some other things in your business strategy to be successful. I have one thought on this as well. Uh, recently, Fifth Third Bank in Chicago or the, uh, the group in Chicago bought another regional group and they are estimating that they had over a hundred branches between the two of them in Northern Illinois and they're going to uh, close about two-thirds of those. So they have the advantage, of course, of uh, online banking, which uh, uh, is a little bit easier than selling farm equipment online. But yes, definitely they have a, a successful niche, and that's why the bigger banks are also looking to buy them up. Another question, George, what sort of mile radius from an existing dealership do you typically observe for M&A transactions? The answer to that question is mostly the manufacturer's policies regarding what they would uh, allow a dealer to do with a different contract and an acquisition of a neighbor. And in most cases, that does mean a neighbor, someone that is whose territory uh, is next to the acquiring dealer. Most manufacturers avoid jumping over another dealer to get to for a dealer that's looking for M&A. The exception might be uh, Deer because there are several dealers on the big dealer report, big Deer dealers who have locations that are in other states and though the desire may be to be contiguous, they do op operate different businesses in different states. A good example would be the P&K operation, and, I, and some of those uh, folks were registered, and they may be on the, the call, but their basis was Oklahoma, and the, as they acquired stores, they started acquiring them in Iowa and effectively jumping over the state of Kansas. So that's one example of, of that in the Deer Network. But in most cases, manufacturers' uh, policies has been to look at dealers on, on their periphery of their dealership. The other thing that is happening, though, with big dealers, and, and Dave mentioned you the, the uh, international aspects, is as dealers uh, achieve the capability of, of running a retail, a large retail operation successfully, they can transfer that A to another industry in, in, in some cases or to another geographic area, whether that be uh, service going into uh, Australia or New Zealand 
or Titan going into uh, Eastern Europe. Okay, another listener asked, I'm curious about short liner relationships within the dealer network. What trends are you seeing there? I mentioned a couple of times that this Farm Equipment Manufacturers Association Supplier Summit out in Omaha, and uh, the title of the discussion that we had along with Doug Griffin from the uh, Context Network was the threat to distribution. That was the title of what Doug and I talked about. And if short line manufacturers are facing that challenge as consolidation happens, a big dealer dropping that representing their short line. In many cases, it becomes an economic decision, not a customer or a innovation benefit. And more and more with these big dealers, um, they're, they're, they have set up purchasing departments and some procedures for how to manage short lines acquisitions and are looking very closely at the benefits of every line that they carry. Looking at some of the things that may not be so apparent in their book, some of the hidden costs, such as sending people to another set of training, having a different parts return policy, the warranty systems that don't may not manage in their in their business system. So there's some hidden costs that these bigger dealers starting to look at. And they may come to a decision that says uh, it's not worth us to carry that short line. So clearly there is a threat to short line manufacturers with the consolidation that is happening. There also presents some opportunities for maybe some other distribution models for short liners, as well as what we talked about with the, uh, with the banking industry of finding that niche where they can really provide a competitive advantage in the marketplace as well. A uh, question that goes along with that is, is a big dealer less likely or more likely to sell short line equipment or will they stick with the OEM equipment? Uh, what are the factors that impact this decision? And I can offer a little bit of a perspective on that. This is a, a typical question when I'm uh, visiting dealers that I will pursue. And quite honestly, it's all over the board. There are uh, dealers that, who have been acquired by bigger dealers, and they, uh, in some cases, the uh, central office dictates what brands they're going to carry, with the thinking being if we can't carry them at all of our stores, we don't want to carry them at any. In other cases, the uh, dealer allows their local stores to make that choice. Uh, and what I've seen more recently is as the dealers get bigger and they have regional managers, they will make the decision based on the regions. Can we sell this at different stores? And of course, uh, as dealers expand, they go into different markets, you know, from livestock to row crops, etc. So uh, I have found that more and more are saying, well, we, we have to allow that decision to be made at the either local or regional level. Here's a, another question. How much are manufacturers driving or limiting consolidation? And uh, we've written about this in, in many cases in ag equipment intelligence. And it's manufacturers have, in fact, driven some of this, but uh, not all of it, as we discussed earlier. George, you have any thoughts on that? I think the desire of the manufacturer is clearly to provide some They'd rather have a dealer that is broader in their territory and, and less in their uh, fewer product lines so they can focus on, on what their, uh, the product lines that they're selling. And I, so I think that's the general rule, but not always in terms of what the product lines that they carry. Does that uh, answer the question, Dave, you think? 
I think so, but I would like to add one more thing. Starting last year in our big dealer report, we have begun listing the short line uh, equipment that each of those dealers carry. And if you have the report, you can go in and look at it and you see even some of those big dealers carry an awful lot of brands, uh, a lot of stuff beyond their, their uh, major OEM. And, and there's a few uh, when we're putting it together this year where you'll see John Deere only. But by and large, almost all of these dealers carry other brands. And uh, we, we intend to look at that more closely uh, in the future. Uh, another question, how many of the consolidations are acquisition versus merger? And uh, I haven't studied that yet, but I think that's a good point that we should look at in the future, George. I think it is. And I think uh, you'll see that, uh, especially when you have big dealers acquiring other big dealers, that the merger option uh, becomes more valuable. There's a bit of a challenge to make sure that you uh, have the right valuations uh, and, and agree on a, a valuation methodology. You also uh, need to look much stronger at the culture of the different dealers to do that. So it's a more complicated transaction because of uh, trying to blend some cultures versus uh, an acquisition where what most dealers tell me when they are acquiring a new location or locations, that the faster that they move to consolidate the acquisition, meaning putting in the same procedures and cultures and policies, the better. And bringing their acquisition into the fold, uh, operating metrics and culture as quickly as possible. So mergers, I think, is, uh, you know, we have some examples of that, and I think that's, uh, an, an interesting to look, thing to look at. As well, Dave, you and I have talked about that there are some other ownership structures as well, uh, and ESOPs, or Employee Stock Ownership Programs, where you and I have talked about the number of those that are also uh, starting to appear am among dealerships in farm equipment, just as they are in, in other industries. So that, those are both fruitful areas to, to look for in the future. Okay, another question, George, and I think I'll allow you to uh, tackle this one. Have you considered that the reason for uh, the profitability comparison is due to the manufacturers changing the volume bonus and market share additives? There's no question that volume bonus and the changes in volume bonus that we observe that manufacturers do over the year is a driver of consolidation. And that depending on where that volume bonus gets shown on the financials is an important area to look at in terms of the uh, the gross margins. But we've seen that manufacturers are raising the threshold for their volume bonus, are putting other factors into the volume bonus to cause dealers to make those changes. So the answer is absolutely yes, that volume bonus and consolidation are linked. All right. The next question, in your calculation of number of Kubota dealerships, do these uh, dealerships have Kubota as their main line or does this number include Case IH and other dealers that also handle Kubota? It's the latter. It's in, in, if a big dealer has 20 stores of, a, of, of another brand and they have seven Kubota locations, they are on the list. But there are also, and it's surprising when you talk to the uh, Kubota folks of, of 
how many of their uh, their dealers are Kubota only dealers. So yeah, there's a mixture between the two. So it's it's the second response. It's a combination. Yeah, I had a, a conversation with uh, some of the top Kubota people in Canada uh, a couple months ago, and um, they said that about 30% of their dealers are uh, Kubota dealers only, and the rest are mixed. So uh, I don't, I'm not sure how that applies in the U.S., but that was uh, Canada numbers that they gave me. I've heard even higher in the U.S. I have in my mind a 50%, but you also then look at the light construction equipment that, that Kubota is getting into as well. So, but it's clear that that dealer, as Kubota is developing a, a dealer development capability, which is the difference between a short liner and a full liner, is whether or not you have a very active dealer development program. Kubota is absolutely doing that, which is why you and I decided that, you know, just the, the, the economics said uh, and the practice, the, what is happening is the Kubota should be included on our, on our list. But there are other uh, manufacturers as well who are expanding their product lines, um, you know, and maybe big, uh, that to look at, see what, if they can uh, also have, carry a full product line and offer a complete package to a dealer. So who knows what, what this list will look like in five years. Maybe there'll be some additional manufacturers as well. Okay. Um, it looks like we've gotten through uh, the questions that pertain to this subject area. We've got several others that, that were uh, on other matters ranging, ranging from NAFTA to uh, when a uh, time when big uh, manufacturers of farm tractors uh, will create a very different kind of tractor, and, and that uh, discussion is uh, for another time. Thank you, George, for sharing your analysis and industry expertise. We look forward to your feedback on today's program. Please feel free to drop me an email at dkanicki at lessonermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2414. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. As a reminder, the information presented here is available in the 2018 Big Dealer Report, which is available by going to agequipmentintelligence.com. You can also keep up on the latest news affecting farm equipment dealers and manufacturers by registering online for our free daily email update on the new agequipmentintelligence.com website. On behalf of George Russell and the staff of Ag Equipment Intelligence, Thank you again for joining us today. I'm Dave Kanicki, signing off.